0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. And our guest this evening is Washington Governor Jay Inslee. Tonight we'll be getting to know the governor and where he stands on key issues. At the start of our show, I'll be asking the candidates some questions, and then after a break, we'll have our studio audience ask their questions in a town hall format. But before we begin with that, let's take a quick look at the candidates'
1: biography. So much Jay
0: Inslee was born in Seattle in 1951. He graduated from high school there, then went on to get a bachelor's degree from the University of Washington and a law degree from Willamette University School of Law in Oregon. Inslee entered private practice, then was a city prosecutor in Washington state and a member of the State House of Representatives before being elected to the U.S. House, where he served for one term. He lost re-election, became regional director for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, but was then elected to Congress again and served seven more terms before becoming governor of the state of Washington, a position he currently holds. During his tenure, Washington state has been ranked the best place to work and the number one economy in the nation. Inslee has made fighting climate change and creating more sources of clean energy a cornerstone of his time in office and his campaign for president. Governor Inslee is married, he has three sons and now three grandchildren. Governor Inslee, thanks for joining hey, us for
1: the conversation Appreciate with the it. Yeah, thanks for doing this.
0: Oh, no problem. Yeah. Hey, so you've made climate change the central issue of your right. campaign, and clearly that's a top issue for many Democrats as well. Another top issue for a lot of Democrats is defeating the incumbent, President right. Trump. Right. How do you convince them that you're the candidate to do that?
1: Well, I, my message is, is really quite simple. We have to make defeating the climate crisis job one for the United States. And I am the candidate, the only candidate, who has pledged to make it the first uh, a foremost and paramount duty of the next administration. And I actually have not made that the issue, science has made that the issue because we know that this is our very last chance to save us from a cataclysmic change in our climate. It is an urgent matter and when you have a last chance, you have to take it. So I am proposing a plan to uh, respond both to the urgency of this matter, but also the economic promise to put eight million people to work so that we can marry the urgency of the moment to avoid disaster and rebuild our economy with clean energy jobs uh, by the bucketful across the United States. And I'm proud to have presented that vision to America and I think people are now more interested in it than they were a few years ago because now we're having farms flooded in the Midwest, we're having towns burned down in California but at the same time, we see the enormous uptick in jobs associated with clean energy. They're growing twice as fast as the rest of the economy. And I'm able to put muscle behind that because as you indicated in your promo, uh, I'm the governor of the place with the best economy in the United States, not despite our emphasis on clean energy, but because our emphasis on clean energy. That's kind of the first part of, uh, of my offer to the country. And the second is as being a person who is actually got things done rather than just give speeches about it and that's one of the reasons we've got one of the most progressive states and successful states in the country
0: and yet washington rejected a carbon tax last year why didn't
1: the voters listen to
0: your message on that and what are some of the lessons from that failure
1: well lessons are is that when the fossil fuel special interests spend 32 million dollars uh, telling things that aren't entirely true in an initiative sometimes it makes it tough to pass But we've been undaunted because we understand that the most powerful renewable energy in the universe is the power of perseverance. So we got right back in the saddle and I offered five bills in the legislature which will give us 100% clean energy, which we passed. It's the best bill in the United States to guarantee Washingtonians clean fossil fuel energy. We also passed a bill that will make sure we get off coal. We will be the first state in the United States totally off of coal passed another bill that would give us cleaner and more efficient buildings, so we don't waste so much energy. So we passed four out of the four or five bills I proposed, and we've had a major, major success. We've got now probably the best suite of clean energy policies in the United States. I've got one more bill I wanna pass next session. So we've had real success in my state, and I think that's important because when it comes time to defeat Donald Trump, uh, I intend to make him a blip in history, because he is a person who says, uh, uh, you know, wind turbines cause cancer, we know they cause jobs, and that's what they're doing in my state. That's a vision to defeat Ian, and I'm I'm looking forward to that.
0: You mentioned Washington has the economy, it has the progressivism. There are some in the Democratic Party who contend that the party is becoming too coastal, too elite. Mm -hmm. How do you make your case as a governor there from Seattle, a very successful top end city, To the people say in the Rust Belt and in those states uh, where President Trump was so successful in 2016?
1: Well, we believe fundamentally we have to give half of the people in America who have not had a raise in 25 years a reason to believe in an economic vision moving forward. And my state has proven demonstrably, objectively, inarguably, that when you embrace uh, family-friendly policies, you grow your economy, you grow the number of jobs. Look, we have the highest in, uh, minimum wage in the United States. We've put that in place since I've been governor. But at the same time, we've got the fastest job creation. We have the fastest GDP growth. We have businesses flocking to our state. We have the best family medical leave, and I'm very sad that your governor is threatening to veto your bill, which is widely, wildly popular in New Hampshire. We are radical in our state. We think women should make the same as men. So we've passed the strongest gender pay equity laws in the United States. We believe that teachers, we gotta have good teachers in the classroom. So I'm proud to have fought and won the largest educator teacher compensation raise in the United States. We've passed the first net neutrality bill to guarantee people access to the internet. I've offered pardons to thousands of people who've been in the drug wars so that we can reduce the racial disparity that has so infected our judicial system. We've expanded early child education and the New York Times said we have the best financial aid program for students in the nation. So I think you can see that we have been progressive and when you get that, you get economic growth. And that's a message for the Midwest. It's one of the reasons while I was chair of the Democratic Governors Association, We won five governorships right down in the Midwest because we focused on an economic growth message for the middle class. And I think what my state has done is to be a template for economic growth for the United States. We have blown up the Republican myth of trickle down economics. We have shown that if you focus on a middle class and a middle out strategy, you'll grow your economy. We've been named the best place to do business and the best place to work. That's a twofer and it's a good message to beat Donald Trump.
0: Governor Inslee, these were the easy questions, but the Thank town you. hall voters <laughs> await after the break. Coming up after the break, we'll bring our studio audience into this conversation. Do stay with us. Life's beautiful moments, sunsets, landscapes, wildlife. That's WMUR's U Local Facebook group. Join this growing community and browse the stunning images captured by viewers like you. Or share your own. Get started at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WMUR9. Go to groups and join ULocal. See you there. and tonight's guest, Governor of Washington, Jay Inslee. We're going to bring in our town hall audience right now with questions from our New Hampshire voters, and we're gonna begin with Marie Mulroy.
2: Yes, hi, welcome to New Hampshire, Thank Governor. You. Yeah, my first question is, 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 in this age of hyper-partisanship, mm-hmm. how would you get us back to a point where facts rather than ideology matter
3: most?
1: Well, the first thing I would do was r- would remove from the Oval Office a person who defames the traditions of our nation where we expect the President of the United States to give us the truth rather than s- much more, uh, less than that on a daily basis. And that is a, an important thing to say because I think that we should not allow ourselves to be inured to, a con- to be conditioned to a situation where the person that we give such a high honor to feels uh, a license to tell us untruths mm-hmm. every single day. And I think this is very important for us to stand up and say that we will not allow that to be a, a normative a condition in our, in our country. So the first thing I would do is to make sure that Donald Trump is a blip in history. That's the first thing I could do. The second thing I could do is to continue to treat people with respect and dignity when I work with them, as I have with Republicans in my state. I had a Republican Senate for the first year of, uh, four years of my tenancy or my a governorship, where I was successful with a giant increase in educational funding a huge infrastructure package with clean energy uh, preeminent, mm-hmm. and we passed the best family leave in the United mm-hmm. States, and I'm hopeful eventually you can overcome your governor's mm-hmm. resistance to that. But y- you do have to realize that there are principles where there are principal disagreements in this mm-hmm. regard. So you do have to stand for your principles. So I was happy to be the first governor in America to uh, speak and sue against Donald Trump's Muslim ban, uh, I was happy to fight the NRA uh, for the last 25 years, and I now have them on the run with common sense gun safety legislation. I am pleased that I have helped uh, pass the best Reproductive Parity Act in the United States so women not only have a right of choice but actually have access mm-hmm. to health care. I'm pleased that I overcame resistance from some in the other party and, and got the largest educator uh, compensation increase in the United States. I'm pleased that I've passed 100 percent clean energy bill all of these things had resistance from the other party but uh, i have learned that persistence is the most empower powerful renewable fuel in the universe and so i use that too
3: thank you so much thank you
1: thank you marie next question comes from gail taylor
2: hi hi Hi. as you know thousands of migrant children are being locked up in for-profit prisons Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I'm talking about the one down in Homestead, Florida, where I visited just a month ago. You are going to be 29 miles away from Homestead Mm -hmm. uh, when you're there on the debate stage Mm -hmm. in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Would you commit to driving that 29 miles over to Homestead, Florida, Mm -hmm. and witness what's going on in that for-profit detention center?
1: So uh, I don't know yet, I have to f- uh, this is a scheduling issue, but I will commit to you that when I'm 2,000 miles away from Homestead, I fight Donald Trump's heinous divisiveness and callous indifference to the, to the suffering of human beings every single day. I have now sued him and beat him 21 times in court. And every single one of those times, we stood up for concepts of common decency in the United States Constitution. So whether I'm 2,000 miles away or 29 miles away, I am very adept and confident and successful in defeating him in so many different ways. I know I'm not the only one who is outraged by his abuse of young people. I want you to know that I've taken care of my young people. I was one of the first governors in the United States to make sure that our dreamers, who are some of the most ambitious people and creative people and promising people in my state, got access to college education. Donald Trump's trying to treat them like a poker chip. Uh, so I've been very active. I was the first governor to stand up against Donald Trump's Muslim ban. I was the first governor to say we should accept Syrian refugees. So whether I make it to Homestead or not, I think you can count on me every single day. Got it.
0: Thank, Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Thank you, Gail. Next question
0: comes from Ken Berlin.
1: Hi, Governor. Welcome. Hey. Uh, besides your great work on climate change and uh-huh. your plans, what policy innovations have you completed in Washington state? that you could bring to the nation, and most importantly, how could you get them legislated, passed, with this Congress that's currently in there, Mm -hmm. or if they are also able to maintain being in charge after you get elected? Well, I appreciate your question, because if people know me, uh, usually they'll know me through my emphasis on on defeating the climate crisis, Mm -hmm. on building a clean energy economy, and I've stressed this, uh, it's been a, a dominant part of my campaign, Because I do believe, uh, and I'm so far the only candidate to say it has to be the number one priority of the United States. But I do believe that my state can serve as a template for the entire nation Mm -hmm. about how you build a more robust economy and a a better place to live with a healthier environment. So I have many things that fit what you're saying. For instance, we have just passed and I have signed the first public option in the United States, the first publicly sanctioned health care plan so that all Washingtonians can get health care. I think that's one step forward. We have uh, adopted the very first long-term elder care program in the United States, so that we know that the retirement, uh, uh, baby boomers are gonna be heading to the retirement, we know that dementia is gonna be an epidemic, and this is something I think can serve as a template for the United States. I think the first net neutrality bill that I signed is a template and should be federal law, and I've, I've fought for this a long time when I was in Congress, and then have now passed the first net neutrality uh, in, the, in the United States. I think the teacher pay increase that I've been able to win ought to be a template across the United States. I think this is one of the most important things we can do is keep educators uh, in, in our school system. I think the pardons that I've offered thousands of people who've been caught in the drug wars is a template for the united states we know the drug war has caused very large racial disparities in our system uh, we are radical in our state we believe women should get paid the same as men for the same work i know that's radical proposition so we have passed uh, the what i i'm pretty sure is the best gender pay equity to make sure women are paid adequately those are just maybe six or seven and i can go on and on and i think what we've demonstrated is that Contrary to the Trumpian thinking of trickle-down economics, when you build a suite of progressive systems like this and you try to take care of middle-class families, you don't degrade your economy, you improve your economy. And I can say that with confidence because we have the best economy in the United States, fastest GDP growth, fastest wage growth. CNBC said we are the best place to do business. The same month, Oxfam said we're the best place to work. So I think that's a model for the United States. And thanks for uh, giving me a chance to brag on my state a little. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, (laughs)
0: Thanks, Kenneth. The next question comes from Joan Kremlisk.
3: Welcome. Um, What is your plan to transition for the country to renewable energy uh, as we use up fossil fuels or even stop using them?
1: Well, that is a very dangerous question, because I've been working on this for two decades. I, I wrote a book about this. The simple answer is in my book. I'll have to send it to you. I wrote it 12 years ago. Uh, And we now have a a very complex and detailed plan on this. It's about 100 pages long and I hope you'll take a look at it and give me your thoughts about it. Uh, Very briefly, we know that we have to decarbonize our economy. And this is not me saying it, it's 10,000 scientists. And we cannot negotiate the timeline to do this. We have to do this starting in the next decade. And that is not negotiable. You You can negotiate business deals, you can negotiate with your family. You can't negotiate with the laws of physics and thermodynamics. So we simply have to achieve these goals. And I have a plan, and so far the only plan that will achieve these goals, by creating legally enforceable teeth to make sure that we get off coal in the next, starting in the next 10 years, to make sure that we, that we get off fossil fuels in the next decade and a half in our utility grid, to make sure that we transition away from gas and diesel powered cars, beginning with cars that were being sold in 2031, and make the investments that are necessary to allow the technologies to allow that to happen. So I've been a, an extremely detailed proposal. I'm proud of it for two reasons. One, all of those who've objectively assessed it, Greenpeace, uh, uh, AOC, uh, climate, the Climate Alliance, have have said it's it's clearly the gold standard of all of the climate change plans, and there's a reason for that. It's because I felt the passion. This is a passion of mine. If I can just share something kind of personal, that's okay with you. Um, several months ago, I was trying to figure out whether to run for president, and I really love being governor. I've been very successful. It's a great job. But I was with my three grandchildren. They're ten, seven, and six, and. Uh, I was realized how degraded their lives are going to be if we do not defeat climate crisis and we are the first generation now to feel the sting of the climate crisis and we're the last generation to do something about it so I made a decision and that is I decided that on my last day on earth I want to be able to look at my three grandkids and tell them I did everything I could for em to d- to save them from this beast and so I'm running for president and I have a plan that uh, clearly is the best one to achieve that goal because it is so, so deep in my soul of what this nation needs to do. Now it's also a tremendous economic opportunity and that's the nature of the book I wrote and the plan I have to put eight million people to work. Okay, thank you. Take a thank you, joke. you,
0: Quick follow on that, Governor. How do you convince the people who don't believe climate change is real?
1: Well, I, y- y- look, you have to realize if people simply don't want to do believe that, you know, you can lead people to the trough, but if they won't drink, you can't, some people, you're not gonna be able to do anything. Uh, We cannot wait for Donald Trump to figure out science. We just don't have that kind of time, okay? (laughs) So we have to work with people, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, to fashion common sense measures. Now, we have had increasing success in this, and the reason is, is that what used to be a chart on a graph you know, when I started this effort a decade and a half ago, this was just a graph on a line of parts per million. It's now people seeing Paradise, California that I visited and drove for an hour through the darkness. A town of 25,000 burned to the foundations. It looked like a post-apocalypse movie. It's, the, it's, it's a woman named Regina Haddock, had a nonprofit um, for, for women, single women and, and victims of domestic abuse totally washed away and ruined, and she's lost her whole nonprofit now because of the floods in the Midwest. And watching that woman cry, and now hearing a few weeks later, uh, the Secretary of State said that this is not a problem because we can just reorganize the society and people can just move is infuriating to me. It's infuriating. When I've seen these people with tears like Marsha Moss in Seminole Springs, whose mobile home was burned down whole towns and her whole her whole home was a little ball of melted aluminum and when you see that woman's tears and you have a president United States who's lying to the American people and telling them this is not a problem this doesn't go down well with me so I'm pretty committed in this effort it's why I'm saying this is going to be priority number one if I'm president United States
0: social media question now coming from John Gibson He asks, Seattle and Olympia seem to be overrun by homeless and people addicted to drugs. I lived there, and Governor Inslee, even after massive tax hikes, has not been able to solve this very serious problem.
1: Well, listen, we have a homelessness problem in the state of Washington, uh, and it's not just Seattle and Olympia, and the fundamental reason is that we are such a hot economy, uh, everybody's kid from around the country is moving to Washington State to get a great job and we're not building enough housing for them. As a consequence, these are very skilled people. 80% of the people who are coming to Washington have college degrees. They're highly paid people. They come in, the rents go up, and when the rents go up, people fall off on the homelessness problem. So we have to do several things, and we are embracing this. I've put over $100 million in pretty much every year to build more housing, number one. Number two, to improve our mental health system. Not all of the homeless have mental health issues, but many do. So we are changing our mental health system. We are reforming it so people can get treatment on the street where they are and they don't have to go to a hospital. We are embracing some of the most active efforts to defeat the opioid epidemic that we know is such a problem in New Hampshire as well as Washington. And I think if you ask public health officials, they'll tell you that ours is maybe the best. We have a hub and spoke system and we use the MAT system medically assisted treatment It's kind of a cutting edge way to deal with the opioid crisis. So uh, this is a a persistent problem. This morning we got some good news that youth homelessness went down for the first time at some point. We've really focused on trying to reduce youth homelessness. And uh, my wife Trudy's been very active on this. She's helped these communities work. So this is the irony of having a great economy and uh, tell that gentleman if he's got a good idea, tell him to give me a call. Next question comes from Nancy Keene.
3: Hi. Thank you very much for coming to New Hampshire and for doing this, and welcome. Thank
1: you. Thank, please, can we yeah. round of applause for this channel that does this? This yes. is really great. I mean, thank you. <laughs>
3: I am very concerned with the rhetoric that's going on around the country and obviously now around the world. There's a lot of divisiveness, there's a lot of name calling. There are things that I would never have allowed my children, my grandchildren, or my students to ever have done. If you disagree with someone, you just pick a name and start name calling. What do you think you can do to help bring civility back into this country?
1: Important question and people yearn for it. I mean, all Democrats and Republicans alike have this same desire as you've expressed now the first thing i would do is i'd advise that uh, uh, president trump that the only thing he can call me is mr president so uh, that's one solution to the problem Uh, look i've always i've always felt that uh, uh, you ought to be able to have very vigorous disagreements with people that you don't agree with and then go out and play baseball together and basketball and have a beer That's just kind of how I feel our culture should work. And I've done that. I've played baseball with Republicans and enjoyed their company. I've played basketball with Republicans and enjoyed their company. I've had a beer or two. And I think being able to maintain those relationships is important. And I do feel terribly about the corrosive nature that is coming out of the White House. And I I ascribe a significant 98% of the problem is coming from that one individual. And I think it's very unfortunate So I think it's incumbent on all of us to to try to find any bounds we can to be civil. But we should not confuse that with the ability to call out the uh, atrocious unconstitutional behavior of the current occupant and the lies. Uh, I don't think it's uncivil to point out that when the President of the United States knows or should know that the climate crisis is a threat to the national security of the United States The Pentagon, the intelligence services have told the president repeatedly to his face, this is a national security problem. Our bases are being flooded. Mass migration is causing political instability. His health people are telling him this is a health crisis. You've got Lyme disease in New Hampshire where you never used to do it. I I met a couple few weeks ago whose daughter missed two years of college because she got Lyme disease because ticks were spreading north. This is an economic issue where farmers are flooded and still can't get into their fields. And when you have a president who will consciously, willfully lie to the American people about that, uh, we cannot countenance that. We have to call it out in in the most uh, fervent and, and, and yet confident way, and I'm doing that. So I hope I can do both those things for you. Thank you. Thank, right, you. Thank
0: you, Nancy. We've got about 30 seconds left. Really quick, Governor. Are you purchasing carbon offsets for your travel as you go around? We will be,
1: yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that. But that is not a solution, by the way, though. We, I mean, we should not look at that sort of pain penance that resolves this issue. We have to decarbonize our economy. That's the science of this.
0: Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR. But it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just Two Taps brings you back in the know. We're going to jump right back into it with our New Hampshire voters and their questions. And the first question comes from Ann Ketterer.
3: Good afternoon, Governor. Hi. My question is about housing. Renters today can expect to spend upwards, sometimes upwards of half their income on monthly rent. Housing costs have exceeded 2008 levels. There seems to be serious lack of inventory. What are three things you'd direct your HUD secretary to do once in office in order to address these serious issues?
1: Uh, Number one, work with uh, appropriators to get adequate capital infusion of money to build more housing. And two, while we're doing that, make it energy efficient housing. Because if you don't make it energy efficient housing, people of low income, they get socked with these giant utility bills. And one of the things we have to change in this country is change our housing stock so we don't waste so much en- uh, so much energy third I would work with him to try to create an incentive program for communities to accept more dense housing so we can get more housing closer to work so people don't have to drive two and a half hours uh, to work now you didn't ask this question but I think compelled to answer it one of the things we have to have for so people can afford housing is to get them a pay raise 50 percent of Americans have not had a wage increase in 20 years even though they're creating more goods and services every hour. We simply have to reorder our economy so that it works for working people. And that means raising the minimum wage. We have the highest minimum wage in the United States, and that's extremely important to their wealth, or excuse me, to their health and economic growth. We need to revitalize the union movement in the United States. One of the reasons our people are not getting raises is because unions have been under attack. And I have proposed a very strong collective bargaining reform of our laws so more people can have the protection of unions. And then we have to have leaders who, who think paying people a family wage is a virtue, not a vice. Now I'll give you an example on this. I had to fight to get enough money this year to give nurses the raise they were deserving and educators the raise they were deserving. I believe people ought to have a family wage so you can afford housing. Those all got to get done. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat>
0: Thank you. And next question comes from Laura Landerman Garber.
3: Welcome to the Granite State. Thank you. Um, change the subject a bit. I'm a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. here in uh, New Hampshire. I think it's been about four decades. I'm giving away my age a bit. <laughs> I'm a grandmother and a mother, and um, my children, grandchildren. But my my patients that I work with, they're school age and teenager. Uh, teenagers and they're coming in like I'm sure they are across the nation with staggering intensities of safety anxiety mm-hmm. they are afraid to go to all the places that should feel most mm-hmm. safe in school mm-hmm. synagogue mosque <coughs> churches they're afraid to go to concerts they're afraid to go to the ball fields yeah. I see kids who say they are looking backwards more than they're looking forwards, mm. and that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of heartbreaking. It's mm-hmm. not sort of, it's very heartbreaking mm-hmm. and alarming. What mm-hmm. plans, specific plans, beyond thoughts and prayers, which are important, mm-hmm. But what plans do you have to keep our children safe? And we have a mental health issue because anxiety is one out of five, mm-hmm. and that's staggering. Yeah. The combination is worrisome. Yeah.
1: Thanks for that important question. I've been involved in this for decades. Uh, The first thing I would do is to defeat the NRA across the United States that have been so deleterious in our ability to have common sense gun safety. And I have felt this for a long time, since 1994 when I was in Congress. And I was a freshman in Congress in a rural 63% Republican district. And the bill to ban assault weapons came up for a vote. And I knew if I voted for that, I would lose my seat in Congress. But I voted for it and I lost my seat in Congress. And I have never regretted that vote because that was a vote that could save lives. Okay. And I came back to Congress years later, and now I'm governor and I can tell you I've got the NRA on the run. We've now passed three major gun safety legislation and we will continue this effort. We need to do this federally. Second, we need to beef up the, the support network for our children. Right. And that's why I've been very uh, attentive to try to get more counselors and mental health professionals to have access to our children. It's one of the things we're doing in reforming our mental health system to get more mental health access for everyone, including our young children. And I believe in counselors and school nurses to help these children. And third, I would, uh, I, I would try to make uh, Donald Trump a blip in history so that he can't come up with these wacky ideas that the solution to this problem is to give first grade teacher Glock pistols to wear on their hip. And I told him this to his face last february in the white house and he just he gets kind of pouty he does this kind of you know he kind of pouts when you're talking to him rather forcefully and i told him he needs to stop tweeting so much and listen to educators that this was a ridiculous idea so there's three things i can do and i'll ask you for some more ideas
3: thank you so much thank you quick follow
0: on that governor (coughs)
1: is america's gun culture
0: even a positive gun culture ultimately unhealthy for the country
1: you know uh, that's an existential question. I'm only running for president, not, <laughs> <laughs> not a philosopher. I, I believe that we have too many guns in the wrong hands. And I think there's common sense things we can do, like we're doing in my state. People who are having mental health episodes that create risk. We've created an Extreme Risk Protection Act that the NRA opposed, uh, or at least some of them so that if someone's having a psychiatric episode, you can, in your family, you can ask the police to come remove the firearm until the episode passes. That's a common sense thing. It is common sense to expect firearm owners to secure their firearms so their next door neighbor kid doesn't get it or it doesn't get burglarized and sold to a gang. So we've created a common sense gun uh, owner safety responsibility act. It is common sense to close the gun show loophole but common, those common sense things measures have been fought and we just have to, to win these battles. But look, people are gonna continue to hunt in New Hampshire and Washington State when I'm governor and the responsible gun owners don't have anything to fear.
0: Next question comes from George Matthews. Welcome, New Hampshire.
1: I believe the current occupant of the White House has decimated our international standing as an ally. Please tell me how you would approach for foreign policy and the security of our great nation. Big question, uh, several things Number one, I believe that uh, the president has weakened our national security by uh, eliminating the power of alliances. Look, we won World War II because we had allies. Uh, You know, Donald Trump just doesn't believe in allies. It's a go-it-alone thing. If he had allies, he'd have to share the podium with somebody. He wouldn't get to have all the glory. He couldn't put on his hat. So number one is to try to restore a sense of, of firm alliances with people to move forward. And by the way, it's not just in what you think of as typical national security, it's in the climate crisis. One of the first places we need to restore our leadership is in alliances dealing with the climate crisis, and I have good ways to do that, to really put some pressure on China so they don't full, you know, sell coal plants around the world. Second, I would make uh, decisions that are, are not uh, driven by the drums of war. And what I mean by that is I was one of the most vocal opponents of the Iraq war. I saw the misuse of intelligence. I saw a president trying to make the the country afraid so he could justify a military conflict. I'm concerned we might be seeing the same movie in Iran right now. And I would resist efforts to drive this country to war when it's not based on sound intelligence. On some specific issues, I would reinstate the Iran uh, deal because I think it's the most powerful weapon we have to prevent a nuclearization of Iran. Uh, I believe that our troops in Afghanistan, it is time to disengage, because I believe our mission statement should be our own intelligence and security there rather than nation building. So we probably don't have time to go through the whole other litany, but my foreign policy would be based on the power of alliances, the power of American leadership and common sense decision making. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thanks, George. Next question comes from Sean Lewis. Thank you for being here, Governor. Thank you. Uh, Just a little bit of a left turn. So you've made the centerpiece of your campaign climate change, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious, how do you intend to tackle such a massive problem when campaign finance reform uh, that hasn't happened yet tends to stymie any major reform efforts, not just on climate change, but across the board?
1: Well, uh, I'm gonna gonna riff on that even beyond campaign finance reform. I think we need substantial reform in our system. Mm Uh, starting with having someone who's not from Washington, (laughs) D.C., but from Washington State. I consider that reform. (laughs) We get things done in my state. We can use a little Washington State leadership in D.C. In answer to your question, we need campaign finance reform that we reduce the power of big money. We should consider public uh, financing as a way to do that. We've got some things going on in Seattle which you probably know about, about freedom vouchers. I think that's a promising uh, proposition. Number two, we have to make sure we have uh, the right to vote in this nation. This needs to be a civil right, and the Republican voter suppression needs to be stopped. Now, like in so many other things, Washington State is a template on this. We have same-day voting. We have automatic voter registration. And importantly, we have a mail-in ballot where I pay the, the stamp so that everybody can vote. You don't have to worry that there's not enough voting machines in your district. We need a civil right federally to guarantee that. I think that we should eliminate the Electoral College. I do not believe that's a answers to the, 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 the true system of democracy that we ought to have. We need to stop the, the gerrymandering. And I've been very active in that fight by electing seven Democratic governors. And the last thing I'll mention, when you say <laughs> we need to sweep away the impediments to democracy, one of the biggest one is the anti-democratic, antediluvian, antibelian, archaic uh, rule of the filibuster. The filibuster prevents meaningful progress, even though vast majorities of the American people want to see that progress. We cannot allow Mitch McConnell to have the filibuster to stop climate change legislation, or health care legislation, or anything else. And the filibuster works like this when you do the math. A person who wants to improve America and make a change gets one vote. A person who wants to keep the status quo, and usually because of a value system that's 150 years old, <laughs> gets one and a half votes. Now, what kind of democracy is that? So that's the way the math breaks out. So I've just given you a quick rundown through uh, the Jansley reforming democracy. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Sean. Next question comes from Benjamin Pelletier. Well, Governor. Hi. Do you believe in term limits for members of Congress?
1: Uh, yes, the old-fashioned way, which is to vote them out of office if they're not <laughs> doing the job. So, <laughs> as I've indicated, that's happened to me once. Uh, uh, No, I I don't think a a, a regulated term limit system is an answer to our problems. And I would say that there's a lot more fluidity in this process than you might think. We elected 40 new members of the US Congress this year because there was a, 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 a absolute revulsion against what's coming out of the White House. We elected seven new democratic governors. I mentioned I was chair of the Democratic Governors Association because we had people who had a message of economic growth five of those governors were right in the midwest i elected 10 new legislators which have allowed me to pass probably the best clean energy laws in the united states democracy can work if we get people the right to vote and end the filibuster good things are going to happen thank you. thank
0: you governor we got a social media coming uh, question coming in from c joseph priore he asks what are you going to do about legalizing marijuana
1: well uh Uh, been there done that (laughs) in my state (laughs) but now we need to do it federally Uh, we ought to have legalization of marijuana in the United States Uh, I think the example of Washington again has shown a progressive way forward for the nation Uh, we have legalized marijuana and we have not experienced increased criminality we've not experienced significant youthful usage we have experienced significant revenues about $700 million coming in to help support health care in our school system. And now we're trying to reduce the, the the racial disparity that has been associated with the the drug war by issuing pardons to those people who are disproportionately black, frankly, because black people got arrested for marijuana three or four times more than white people, even though they didn't use it anymore. So we're trying to fix that racial disparity. Now we've also, while well I'm on this note, we've eliminated the death penalty effectively, and we've banned the box, so when you come out of jail, you can get a job if, you, if you're really qualified for the job. We are very intent in reform in the, in the state of Washington.
0: Quick follow on that, how have you handled the driving while well intoxicated under marijuana issues? Because there's no good test for that.
1: Well, we actually, I think, have been pretty successful. I think if you'll talk to our state troopers, they'll say we've had a very good prosecutorial system. I used to prosecute impaired drivers for about 10 years. And I actually think, in talking to our troopers, they do have a way to assess this, both I- analytically and otherwise. And so this has not been a controversy on how we we've, how we've, uh, have enforced this. Okay, next question is coming from Stephen Morgan. Hi. Hi. Uh, uh, to begin with, a little aside, I married a Denny. Uh, get out of here. No. Really? Yes. Well, I married a Tyndall. How did it work out? Uh, mine <laughs> is fine. Yeah, <Good>. well, mine's <laughs> great, Oh, too. good, oh, good. <laughs> For the audience, Denny is a founding family of Seattle. Denny is a a very famous and well-respected Denny, and one of my one of my great friends is a Denny. Thank you. Um, I found that many women are questioning the wisdom of having bringing a child into our climate crisis world. As president, on your first day, what would you do to restore their optimism of choosing to bring children into the world? You know. that is such a painful question to ask it is it 's very painful to me to think that young people where I was forty years ago have to ask that question. Think how how profoundly disturbing that is and his by the way, uh, your question is not esoteric. I was at Dartmouth last month and met uh, a young woman who was chair of the Democratic Club there, and she told me then in the Just the day before, she had had two conversations with her good friends who were asking this question of whether it was responsible to bring a child into such a potentially degraded world. So I think this is a signal to the younger generation, to us, that the Woodstock generation has got to get off the dime and respond to the moral obligation to this younger generation. I can't think of a higher moral obligation than to save this generation from the the damages of carbon pollution. So what I will do is implement my clean energy plan, which is a host of executive actions, a host of congressional actions, all of which is designed to get us off of carbon in the next decade or two. And that is a necessity to achieve. And uh, any young person who is concerned about this, ask them to look at my plan. I think that should give them some hope that we have one candidate, and I will say this, I'm running for office so i got to be honest with you <laughs> there is only one candidate in this race who has made a pledge to make defeating climate crisis the number one priority of the united states and i'm that candidate so you let them know there's at least one candidate out there uh, determined to get this job done thank you thank you
0: thank you mr morgan next question comes from leonard moral well, thank you for being here today
1: governor eisley you recently signed a tough sanctuary law for really illegal immigrants do you think the US should eliminate the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency no I I don't think that's a solution to the problem Uh, uh, look there are so many things we need to do to fix our immigration system we have to have comprehensive immigration reform we're 11 million people who are co-workers our neighbors our fellow churchgoers our soccer coaches who have to operate in the shadows right now that's number one. Number two, we have to fix, give DREAMers security for their dreams. I was the first governor to make sure DREAMers could get an education, college education, in my state. We need to stop this heinous separation of children from their parents on the border that is, that is going on. We need to, in my opinion, be responsible and follow the American tradition of being a place of refuge to have some compassion for the world's uh, the wretched you know refuge of a distant shore, and President Trump is now slashed by about eighty percent what has been a traditional acceptance of refugees, and we have a massive refugee crisis which is going to get worse because of climate crisis is going to drive drought. so I have suggested we go back up to historic levels of accepting refugees so we can regain. Credibility in the world of these other countries are moving forward So we have all these things we need to do to our immigration system but I don't believe simply telling Americans that we're gonna have zero enforcement of our border laws is wise prudent and uh, and frankly very very uh, uh, damaging to the ability to beat Donald Trump and so when some of my colleagues have said You know, we'll just get rid of ice. I think that's playing right into Donald Trump's hands. And so uh, that's not a position I would take. We gotta find other ways. Now, um, we had the question about the detention facility. We have to have humane treatment of people while they are in detention. I am extremely concerned about this. We're hearing horror stories, and that's one of the reasons I'm opposed to the private privatization of our jails. We should not be having private contractors do this. It creates incentives for locking people up, and we need to have a more responsible, humane system.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Leonard. Next question comes from Elizabeth Radisich.
2: Hi, Governor. Thank you for being here this evening. Um, your energy ideas are really compelling. Um, as a mom of three-and-a-half-year-old twins, um, I definitely would like to see all of them enacted. But you're running for president, not secretary of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, America needs someone who can lead us forward on a host of issues. Mm -hmm. As uh, one of my fellow voters pointed out earlier, uh, we have been severely diminished on the world stage. Mm -hmm. Can you please describe a few successes that you've had in Washington, completely unrelated to climate, that uh, would demonstrate your leadership in foreign Mm -hmm. policy and Mm -hmm. national security?
1: Uh, no, I can't because if I got started, it'd be three hours. So okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to limit this. Let, let's think about what our nation needs. We need a more comprehensive health care plan. Who is the one leader in America who's actually achieved progress on this subject since Obamacare? It was me because we've adopted the public option, first public option in the United States. No one else in this field has done this. Uh, we need to have gender equity in our workplaces. Who's adopted one of the strongest gender pay equity issues? I am the candidate amongst all these candidates who's been able to achieve that. We know we have this emerging retirement of other generations that require care. There is only one candidate in the race who has actually had achievements providing long term elder care, and I have the first one and therefore the best one in the United States. We know we have huge racial disparity issues in our society and our criminal justice system, there is only one candidate in this race who has achieved the uh, reinstigation of an affirmative action program so that people of color can get a fair shake for a job and an education. And that is because I've succeeded this year in reestablishing our affirmative action. Program. there is only one candidate in the race, because we know racial disparity has bedeviled criminal justice, it's offered thousands of pardons to people. I'm the only governor who's done that Mm -hmm. in the United States, or first in any event. There is only one governor who, or one candidate in this race, who has stopped Donald Trump from his unconstitutional actions by suing him and defeated him 21 times in a row. I wear this as a badge of honor. I beat him 21 times in a row in court. So I'm not afraid to stand up to this individual. Um, we know that we have needs in our educational system and mm-hmm. we know that having a good teacher is the mo- or educator is the most important thing we do. And I say educator because that includes counselors and engineers and bus drivers and, and, and nutrition specialists. Everybody counts in a school. There is only one candidate who's got the biggest wage increase uh, in the United States for educators. Others have talked about it but I've, I've done it. Uh, people have talked about uh, financial aid for our college students because of the huge debt burden. According to the New York Times, what I've achieved is a very uniquely successful way to help families have essentially free college in the United States. So that is a partial list. And I think that you've pointed out, it, go ahead and ask your question.
2: Um, Cause I don't feel like you actually answered my question. Oh, uh, my it. question <laughs> was, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, my question was pointing more towards foreign policy. Oh, I see. Okay. And towards got it. national security. You got just it. gave me a host of domestic policy things that are amazing, Right. but I, right now, am more concerned that Vladimir Putin is making us look like a bunch of clowns. Mm-hmm. So how can you address that based on successes, mm-hmm. demonstrable successes, that you personally have
3: had?
1: Well, I know you don't expect me to have acted as President of the United States yet. Because no, not but been you've, President d- you've been <laughs> in the House, yet. correct? You've been, been in, in the, the US. House. So let me go through some of the foreign policy issues I've dealt with. <laughs> First off, there, in my lifetime, there has been the most critical decision-made decision-made that tested people's judgment and wisdom and spine in my lifetime and that was the iraq war because people in public office in congress where i was at that time were called upon to exercise judgment and spine to stand up against the war drums that, that george bush was beating and he was trying to drive america into the war using intelligence that was magnified to say the least. And many, many, many congressmen did not have the judgment or the spine to stand up against that. I did. And I would suggest that if you were gonna pick a litmus test for the last 25 years, that may be it. And not only was I right on that, unfortunately, uh, but I was vocal and, and, and strong. Now, was I successful? No, because the war started and since then, I've been trying to help the veterans who've borne the brunt of this battle. And we've done some of the best work in the country helping veterans in their reemployment issue and some of their health care issues. So that is one of the things on foreign policy that I've got right, and I would suggest uh, one of the biggest. Uh, second, I think I've been appropriately uh, uh, questioning of some of the military budget decisions, which, frankly, we've spent a lot of money in the military that has not really got us some national security. And Eisenhower talked about the mini- military industrial complex. He knew what he was talking about. And I have been appropriately skeptical of some of the military things, that investments, that really did not give us additional nas- national security. Third, if you listen to the Pentagon, and you get a, you get a general or an admiral. I had Admiral Fallon, who is a former admiral for the Pacific Fleet. He was in Seattle a few, a few months ago, talking about national security. And if you ask Admiral Fallon, name the, you know, the top handful of national security threats, he will say climate, the climate crisis. And I have been one of the most active members of Congress and governors in developing an international relationships that can help us defeat the climate crisis. Uh, I went to Bonn and Paris. And one of the things I did with Andrew Cuomo and Jerry Brown, we established the US Climate Alliance, which is an alliance of 24 states. And the reason we did that, all of whom were committed to the Paris Agreement, and the reason we did that is we wanted to h- show the rest of the world there's still intelligent life in the United States, <laughs> and that we were still going to be part of this effort. This was very important on an international stage. We wanted to make sure that when Donald Trump said, I'm going to go backwards on climate change, that the rest of the world didn't follow him. So I went to Bonn and Paris to these international meetings, and had a lot of meetings and press conferences to let the world know that we are still moving forward in this nation on a local level rather than a national level. And so far that has been largely successful with the exception you know, maybe of, of Brazil, maybe R- Russia to some degree. So I'm sorry I missed the nature of your question, but I got a lot to talk about. (laughs) I understand,
2: I understand. Thank you you for answering
0: it. Thank you, Elizabeth. And uh, we got time for one last social media question here. Uh, Tyler McGregor asks, uh, NASA has been directed to return Americans (laughs) to the moon by 2024. Do you intend to support this return? If so, how will you support it? If not, what other plans do you have?
1: Well, I would be fully supportive of putting a man on a moon on the condition that it was a one-way trip and I could pick the person that would go. <laughs> and I've got a nominee in that regard. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, to be honest, I haven't thought a lot about this, so I'll give you a stream of consciousness. My thoughts are at the immediate, uh, I, think th- I think that if you talk to people in the scientific community, they will probably tell you that there are higher priority explorations that would give us a better understanding of the universe uh, than than the goal of, of just putting a person on the moon. I would note that we have been there once and we have developed the technology necessary to get there. And uh, I would suggest that if I had a billion, spare billion dollars, at the moment, I would uh, first put it in some other research and second, I would put it in saving this planet. You know, some people have said, the solution to the climate crisis is, when this place is uninhabitable, and by the way, if you're interested, there's a book called The Uninhabitable Earth. If you really want to know what the science is on this, it'll knock your socks off. So we are heading to an un- literally uninhabitable Earth, and some have said the solution is we'll just go to a different planet. That's not a solution, because we'd foul that one up too, and we'd be right back in the soup. So I would say we have some higher R&D uh, investment criteria that we ought to be following.
0: We've got about a minute left, really quickly. Nuclear power, is that in part of the agenda for getting a clean
1: economy? Uh, I think that we should be open to any low and zero carbon technology to see whether it's possible. At the moment before nuclear power would become viable, four things would have to change. It would have to become much, much cheaper, because right now there's a lot of other sources that are cheaper, renewable energy, It would have to be safer with a passive safety system that is yet to be designed. And it would have to solve the nuclear waste problem that has not been solvable to date. It would also have to win public acceptance. So I believe it is appropriate to do R&D to determine whether those four things could happen that have not happened to date. And we'll have to see where the research goes in that regard.
0: Okay, Governor Jay Inslee, that's been
1: Conversation with the Candidate. We
0: really appreciate your time here. Thank you you to the voters. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this
3: podcast next week.